morning. Our guest speaker this morning is Dr. Phil Entema of the North American Baptist Conference Foundation, which we simply refer to as the NAB Foundation. Phil's entire ministry service has occurred within our North American Baptist Conference, first starting as pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Vancouver, BC, then as a church planting pastor of Bloomingdale Baptist Church in Bloomingdale, Illinois, and subsequently as a church planting pastor of Cascade Baptist Church in Vancouver, Washington. Phil is one of the few pastors within our denomination to have planted two different churches, and I would venture to say he's the only pastor within our denomination to have been a pastor in both Vancouver's, both BC and in Washington State. After serving in three different churches, Phil was elected executive director of our North American Baptist Conference denomination at its triennial conference in Dallas in 1994. He served as executive director for nine years. After that, Phil became president of the NAB Foundation, serving in that capacity for another nine years. Although he is no longer president, Phil continues to work on behalf of NAB Foundation on a part-time basis. Phil is married to Terry, who is a registered nurse. Together they have three daughters, Carrie, Elizabeth, and Donna, and nine grandchildren. Their second daughter, Elizabeth, is named after Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, as she was born on Dominion Day, which we now call Canada Day, during Phil's ministry in Vancouver, BC. Now I must say, naming their daughter after the Queen, while pastoring in Vancouver, British Columbia, at a time when the British Columbia Lions played their football games in Empire Stadium, did make Phil and Terry a very popular pastoral couple with their congregation in Vancouver. Phil and Terry have recently relocated to Goodyear, Arizona in the greater Phoenix area, and it comes as no surprise that they are really enjoying settling into their new, much warmer desert surroundings. The best way of describing Phil's job with NEB Foundation over the past 10 years is that of preaching and teaching on the subject of biblical financial stewardship. Here in our church yesterday, Phil presented the Good Sense Money Management Seminar, and this afternoon he will present a seminar on estate planning. And these are seminars that he has presented to hundreds of churches and to thousands of people during his service with the NEB Foundation. Preaching and teaching on the subject of biblical stewardship means talking about things like money, earning, spending, saving, debt, generous living, giving, and tithing. Now these subjects lead to other popular matters like faith, trust, discipline, sacrifice, surrender, obedience, confession, repentance, and ultimately lordship. These can be tough issues that both pastors and their congregations often have a difficult time discussing with the love and the grace that is required. And I think this is what both Marlene and I have personally come to deeply appreciate about Phil's approach. Even though Phil's formal pastoral ministry ended almost 20 years ago, the basis of his preaching and teaching on the subject of biblical stewardship continues to come from Phil's pastoral heart. It is my hope that we not only get the substance of what God is trying to say to us through Phil this morning, but that we also sense the love and grace with which Phil will be trying to deliver God's message to us. It is my honor and privilege on behalf of all of us to welcome Dr. Phil Entema to our church this morning. Phil. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, all this sun, I feel like I'm back in Phoenix again. 
Maybe, well, not quite. Um, there really needs to be a little bit of an asterisk at the bottom of my resume that uh, Norm failed to mention. I can't hide it, so I may as well own up to it in the beginning. I have developed this habit early on as a young preacher boy of pacing back and forth when I speak. I think I learned it was more difficult to hit a moving target. So that probably is at the, uh, at the uh, uh, base of it. You're part of a much larger family, and I want to bring you greeting on their behalf. Uh, you're part of North American Baptist family, 430 churches across North America. Another 860 churches worldwide affiliate with us. So uh, on behalf of them, I bring you greetings. A lot of people wonder today, why would a church want to affiliate and be a part of a larger church family? Let's see if I can get it all out in one spiel. Working together, we have built six hospitals, 59 clinics, a leprosarium, a school for the blind, an agricultural school for the blind, a school for the deaf, 110 secondary schools, six orphan homes, five seminaries, a school of surgeons, a school of nurses, and in our spare time, we have seen hundreds of thousands of people come to know Christ as Savior, and, and through our relationship with the Baptist World Alliance, which is 53 million people worldwide, we have assisted in feeding hundreds of thousands of needy people around the world. Brothers and sisters, we can just flat out do more together than we can individually. So on behalf of the rest of the family, thank you for being a part. Now, you have a great opportunity. This afternoon, you get to go to an estate planning seminar. Hooray. Who in the world would want to go to one of those? Well, actually, um, some of you are quite vulnerable and probably need to show up. If you are a young married couple with minor children without an informal estate plan, should something happen to the both of you, guess who chooses who raises your children? The province. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a decision I'm willing to defer to them without some input. So uh, it's important that uh, you have a formal estate plan. And if you're sitting here rather smugly thinking, oh, yeah, one of these days I need to get to, uh, around uh, drafting a will. I don't have one. Actually, you do have a will. The province has uh, drafted one for you if you have not drafted your own. They will superimpose their template over all of your assets and give them the way, the way they see fit. And as provincial governments go, large chunks of it will stick to their fingers as they give it away. It's the last act of biblical stewardship. The uh, seminar will be at 2 o'clock right here. It will last an hour and 15 minutes. It'll seem like five or six hours, but it'll only be an hour and 15 minutes. And uh, we'll walk through the personal and spiritual part and then acquaint you with a 50,000-foot view of some of the uh, mechanics. I'll give you two tools with which to organize yourself and meet your attorney to uh, draft a will. And um, I think you'll be glad that you came. And I will share the one and only estate planning joke known to mankind from the beginning of time. There's a, they're rarer than uh, hen's teeth. Enough of that. We truly do live in countries of that could be described as land of milk and of honey. Canada is a resource-rich nation. We've done extremely well. And where hard work, ingenuity, and opportunity can still pay off when people are ready to apply themselves. But for all that is right about us, about all the wealth that God has blessed us with, there's a downside to it. Reminds me a little bit of the woman who was gazing over the shoulder of another woman. 
spied a huge diamond ring on her finger and exclaimed, wow, what a diamond. The lady said, yes, it's the Callahan diamond, but it comes with a Callahan curse. Oh, what's that? Mr. Callahan. For all that we've been blessed with, we've not particularly done a good job of managing it over the last few decades. One of the real cornerstones of the problem that uh, the Canadian family faces today is the amount of debt load that we carry. StatsCan tracks it on an annual basis. In the late 80s, the average Canadian family owed a number equal to 89% of their gross income annually. So if you made 100,000 a year, you probably owed 89,000. Last year, that number has risen to 163%. So if you made 100,000, you owe 163,000. And we're catching up to the Americans. They're about a percent and a half ahead of us. And unfortunately, our rate of increase in debt is faster than theirs, and we should, we should surpass them in a couple of years. The amount of debt load that the Canadian family has absorbed has really made significant changes in our approach to money. Canadians are saving less money than they have in the last 20 years. It peaked in 1995. The average Canadian family saved $8,000 a year then. This past year, the average Canadian family saved only $3,500 a year, not adjusted to uh, inflation. It's not only made a difference in how much we save, it's also made a difference in how much we give. Less than 2% of the gross national product of Canada goes to charities of any kind. That's libraries, symphonies, hospitals, and God's work. We're become a little less and less generous every year. And that has an effect on us. We have to couple that with the fact that we live in a very much of a me-first culture, don't we? It's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. From the moment you wake up in the morning, a refrain is being whistled in your ear. It's all about you, it's all about you. And by noon, I pick up the refrain myself and I begin to think to myself, yes, that's true, it's all about me. We live in a culture that is me first and now we're passing it on to a whole new generation. I took my grandson out to McDonald's the other day and uh, bought him uh, fries and a Coke and I bought myself God's most perfect food, coffee. So there we sat, deadlocked in a deep theological discussion, him being seven and all. And as we were engaged in this discussion, my fingers danced across the table and I seized one of his French fries. Grandpa, he said, those are my French fries. Huh. I thought to myself, young man, I am the source of those fries. What do you mean I can't have one? And then it occurred to me, the kid's seven. I could take those French fries if I wanted. But you know what finally occurred to me? That's how God must look at you and I. Does he need what I have? No. Could he take it if he wanted it? Yes. But you know what matters to God is not what I possess. What matters to God is me. This fill model was created with certain design specifications. I was built to thrive on love, not hate. I was designed by my creator to thrive on generosity, not selfishness. And when an entire culture begins to become selfish and me first, that entire generation begins to die, spiritually 
emotionally, and physically. You were built in the image of the Almighty God to be like him, generous. So my job is cut out for me today, and so is yours, to somehow extricate ourselves from a very me-first culture and move a couple of ticks to be more like our Heavenly Father, to be generous. In taking this job, I've learned something about myself. I have the gift of irritation. Now, my children always accused me of being an irritating person, but I never really believed them until I took this job. If I do my job this morning and Scripture will do its job, we're gonna, God is going to get under practically all of our skins a little bit and make us feel a bit uncomfortable. Like it or not, brothers and sisters, I have to admit to you I am more like my culture than I am like Jesus Christ. This me first has even infected us. So, in our journey to become more generous, where do we turn? Well, we turn where God's people always turn, to God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-4 through 4 is the Macedonian's journey towards becoming more generous. Now, we first hear about the Macedonians in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16. Paul is on his third missionary journey. He is visiting the churches he planted, and he's also collecting an offering for a starving church, probably the one in Jerusalem. So he writes the first letter of Corinthians and says, I'm on my way, have the offering ready when I get there, and oh, by the way, I'm passing through Macedonia. That's all he says. Well, he passes through Macedonia, and he meets a group of people like he never thought were on planet Earth. They were more generous than you could ever imagine, so he writes a second letter to the Corinthians. I met these Macedonians, he says, and I want to lift them up to you as what it means to be generous. Now, 2,000 years later, I wander into Winnipeg, and I'm going to do the same thing. Hold the Macedonians up to you about what it means to be generous. We're going to start uh, in uh, chapter 8, verses 1. Uh, you can see it right up there. And um, to the Macedonians, it meant three things. The first one, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Circle that word grace. The first thing in being generous to the Macedonians was they understood everything they had was grace. Grace occurs 170 times in the New Testament. It occurs eight times in 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And it's a beautiful word. All of the beauty, all of the majesty, all of the wealth that is God, freely given to you and I that don't deserve any of it. Let's consider this grace thing a bit. There are, first of all, invisible grace gifts that money can't buy, that God gives to you that you don't deserve. I fly two or three times a week. I am more afraid of airline food than I am perishing on an airline. Why? Because of a grace gift. Decades ago, I received God's free gift of the death of his son, Jesus, on the cross for me, and my sins were forgiven, past, present, and future, and when I close these tired old eyes here on earth, they're going to wake up in glory. Did I deserve it? Did I earn it? No. It was a free grace gift. Whatever's wrong in your life today, whatever you're brooding over, if you have received that free grace gift, that's 99% of everything that there is. 
and should still cause you to celebrate and worship here. Because of grace, we have an invisible grace gift that money can't buy. Not only are there invisible grace gifts that money can't buy, there are visible grace gifts that money can't buy. Why do you get to live in Canada? Why weren't you born in Somalia, Darfur? Why weren't you born in Haiti? You know what? You don't have an answer, because there isn't one. For some reason, God smiled his great smile upon you and blessed you with a gift that other people risk their lives for on a daily basis. Now you may say, well, I immigrated here. Except that God put the ingenuity in your mind, gave you the opportunity, and filled your lung with oxygen, you would have never made it like others didn't. God smiled his grace smile upon you. The day you, do, you don't like living here anymore, I can think of 11 million Haitians who'd be very pleased to trade places with you. We're blessed. There are other visible grace gifts that money can't buy. I looked at a, a Globe and Mail uh, survey on what bugs Canadians the most. Number five on the list, loneliness and isolationism. I have more friends because of my relatedness to Jesus that sometimes I just want to go to my motel room, lock myself in just to get away from you. But what a great blessing. Look around you here today. These are all visible grace gifts from God to you. So there's invisible grace gifts that money can't buy. There are visible grace gifts that money can't buy. There are visible grace gifts that money can buy. A great round of golf. I have never played one, but I understand it to be possible. Thanksgiving dinner with my children and grandchildren all around me, the clothes on my back, the car that I drive, the house within which I live. Brothers and sisters of Winnipeg, you have more than ancient pharaohs ever dreamed they could have. You have more conveniences at your fingertips than ancient kings could have ever produced for themselves. We are rich in every way the world counts riches. God has spoiled us. We have so much. So what does this have to do with being generous? If all you can think about is what you don't have and what you still want, what you still want to pursue, uh, pursue for yourself, you'll never make it to be generous. It's only when you count your blessings and see that all that God has blessed you with, how wealthy you are to world standards, that you say, wow, yeah, I have so much, and with it comes responsibility. Now, here comes a shift in gears with this whole grace thing. Although God has showered grace upon you and given you so many things, you don't own any of them. Haggai chapter 2, verse 8. All the silver is mine. All the gold as well, declares the Lord. The verse that uh, pastor quoted, Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all, and all who dwell therein. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, 14. To the Lord belongs the heavens, yea, even the highest heavens and everything upon the earth. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created thereby laying ownership to all of the universe, seen and unseen, everything belongs to God. The implications of this are huge. Every Deutschmark, every Mina, every Peso, every Frank, every dollar you possess, he owns. 
This changes everything. This is bedrock. This is the foundation to good financial biblical management. God owns everything. See, for years, I taught my, my people when I was a pastor a biblical mistruth. I told them 10% belonged to God, 90% was yours. You could screw up the 90% all you wanted, but if you tithe, God would somehow make the whole mess work. It simply isn't true. All 100% belongs to God. Now you might be thinking to yourself, oh no, what if God takes all his stuff back and reduces me to a pastor-like condition? I'm not sure I could handle that. It's probably not going to happen. First Timothy 6, 17 and 18, verse 18 says this, I have given you all these things for your enjoyment, but be filled with good works and be generous in your spirit. The point is this, a balance in your financial management. Enjoy the things I've given you, God says. There's nothing wrong with driving a nice car. There's nothing wrong with a holiday. Nothing wrong with dressing well. But God says you've got to balance that consumption with generosity. Find a friction point in your life. You know, there's, enjoying life is one thing. Opulence is another. And to find that balance in your life. That's what God wants. I'm not here pushing poverty. I am, though, pushing a generous lifestyle. Enjoy, God says. These are my things. You are a trustee or a steward of God's things. A, stu a steward is someone with no right of ownership, only management responsibilities. That's what you, all of your stuff belongs to God. And at any time, he could come and tap you on the shoulder and say, I want some of my stuff back. Grant it to him. You'll be blessed beyond imagination. Everything you have belongs to God. So the owner encourages you to be generous and give some of it back. The Macedonians understood this. This is such an important point, I'm going to put an exclamation point at the end of it with the following illustration. When I left my first church in Vancouver, B.C., the ladies of the church did a horrible thing to me. They bought my wife a six-piece place setting of... Prince Albert's English Bone China Dogwood Pattern, the provincial flower. I thought, oh no, three daughters, my wife is going to want to build that set, and you know how expensive English Bone China is. I brooded over it for a while. Well, next year, the next year, it went out of production. I thought, yes, there is a God, I'm saved. Two years ago, my wife was on the tool of the devil, eBay. There it was, a complete 12 place settings of English bone china, dogwood pattern in Victoria. So my wife sent for it. What would it have been like if the FedEx guy came to the merchants, any FedEx guys here? FedEx it is, went to the FedEx, went to the merchant, merchant boxed it up, gave it to him, and he said, well, this is great, I've always wanted English bone china. My wife would have hunted him down to the ends of the world. It was never his to possess and own. He was given to him with a purpose in mind. Everything you have has been granted to you by a loving God with a purpose. Enjoy, but be extremely generous with it as well. The Macedonians got it. It's all grace, brothers and sisters. The second thing, the Macedonians understood that in order to be generous... 
Next slide. You also needed good money management to be generous. Look at the next verse. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Now, a lot of people think this is a miracle verse. A miracle happened. Look at the landscape of this verse. Extreme poverty. These were dirt poor people in severe trial. Paul shows up for these poor people and they take a huge offering. You're thinking, wow, a miracle must have happened. Somebody won the lotto or maybe God exploded money in one of their checking accounts. There's no miracle in this verse. This is a human verse. Circle that word able. These people gave what they were able to give. So here's the point. These people hardly had anything. Poor, poor people. But they didn't consume it all. They didn't spend it all. They saved some of it. Spent, they reduced their lifestyle beyond which what their income was. Created a margin. Saved that money. And when Paul came, they were able to reach into their pocket and make a big offering. Now, here's the first irritating part. Frankly speaking, there are some people seated here before me that could not be generous if they wanted to be. We have consumed 100% of God's grace. We've spent everything, and there's nothing left. Some of us have gone well beyond that, and now we find ourselves 105, 110% of spending God's grace. And we find ourselves in debt. The Bible says, whoever you owe money to, you become a slave to that person. The Bible calls debt a snare that traps a person, pulls them in, destroys them. Jesus says at the end of the day, there are but two gods. Matthew 6, you'll love the one and hate the other. You'll serve the one and neglect the other. You can't serve both in money, God and money at the same time. The other God is a ruthless overlord. Where your children go to school, how generous you are to the other God, where you live, what you do, everything will be determined by the other God that you owe money to. How does it feel to be a slave to TD Bank? How does it feel to be a slave to Visa and a MasterCard? A few years ago, the average credit card debt in Canada was $7,100 at an average interest rate of 18.1%. As money compounds, that means your debt will double every four years. Student debt, another huge culprit that enslaves young people. Extreme debt will not get you where you want to go. And we make such foolish decisions. Let's role play right now, okay? You're going to be a customer. You want to buy a color TV. I must correct myself here. I used this in White Court, Alberta, a couple of weeks ago. I said a color TV, and a young person came up afterward and said, Phil, they only make color TVs anymore. They don't make black and white. So you want to buy a TV. So you have Best Buys here. Okay, so you're going to go to Best Buy and buy a, let's say, a 55-inch TV. So uh, you go up to the salesman. I'm going to play the salesman. Uh, you say you want to buy a 55-inch TV, and I say, great, I've got a little beauty over there. I can sell you for $1,999. But wait a minute. I really like you. 
I'm going to sell you that $1,999 color television set for $6,400. What do you think? You're going to think, what, you think I'm stupid? What's a salesman thinking? Yeah, pretty much. You buy that $1,999 color television set, you put it on your credit card and make the minimum payments, and you would have paid over $6,000 for a $1,999 TV set. Do people do that? Every day of the week. And you know what happens? The plate passes Sunday morning. I can't put anything in it. How come? You gave it to Best Buy. And you know what God is thinking? Phil, I love you. I didn't mind you having a TV. But why didn't you save up and pay cash? Give me the $4,600 difference. I would have opened up the windows of heaven. I would have showered down upon you every blessing in abundance. But you had to have it today. The decisions we make during the week, brothers and sisters, affect whether we can be generous or not. And good money management is absolutely essential to be a generous person. You have to plan to be generous. Just in case I have not made myself understood, debt is a stick in the eye. Debt is a root canal. Debt is passing a kidney stone. Are you tracking with me here? Young people, stay out of it. This is good advice. I deal on a weekly basis with people. A little bit of student debt. Maybe your first car, you have to borrow a little money. And your first home. But after that, I'm getting out of debt. Good biblical advice that helps a person to become generous. To the Macedonians, it was all about grace. To the Macedonians, it was all about managing that grace well. To the Macedonians, it was one other thing. And let's look at the next point. Generosity was a matter of sacrifice. Look at the next verse. And even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. How do you give beyond your ability? I think they ran out of cash. No more money to give, but they were enjoying it. Cheerful giver, enjoying it so much. I think when they started to liquidate assets. Sacrifice. An interesting concept. I don't see much of it anymore. I'm going to make a statement I believe to be true. I don't know it's true, but I think it is. At a world-class level, I don't think there's anyone in this room that understands what it means to sacrifice. Oh, no, 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 Phil. I won't go on holiday this summer, and I'll donate the difference. Well, hey, how about this? On my next cruise, I'll take an inside cabin rather than an outside cabin and donate the difference. Well, I tell you, you take that into the rest of the world where people have had their limbs sawn off, their eyes gouged out, whose children will never go to university. They'll never have a good job because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That's sacrifice. You have not really been generous 
until you've had to cut back on your own lifestyle and deny yourself something. At that point, you're treading on holy ground to be generous. In the Bible, in a spectrum looking at wealth and money, there are two sins. There is extreme debt that enslaves, and there is hoarding. Where I have more money than I need to take care of me until Jesus calls me home, but I keep stacking it up one chunk upon another. In a world where people are starving to death and dying, brothers and sisters, that simply isn't right. Am I suggesting that you give it all away? Oh, no, I'm not. One of the chief uses of money in the Bible is to create a state of non-dependency for yourself. I can take care of me until Jesus calls me home. There's nothing wrong with that. But what happens if I've saved up enough money to do that, and I still have way more? Well, I'm going to suggest, take that number, add a little bit to it, just in case you've miscalculated. Leave a little bit to put a smile on your kid's face when you're taken home. And if you still have money left over, I'm encouraging you to consider giving it away. You will be blessed beyond measure. Well, there it is. What I think constitutes generosity. Understanding it's all grace. I have had it showered upon me, but I don't own any of it. God gives me management responsibility over all the grace that he's given me. I need to enjoy some of it and give some of it away. And if I really want to unleash the blessing of God in my life to go beyond my means to sacrifice and to go beyond, I encourage you in that lifestyle. Let me one more illustration, if I may, please, to close. Last time I went to Africa, I visited our hospitals and clinics in the Cameroon. I was picked up at the airport by our missionaries, the Oran Miners, long since retired, fine missionary couple. Picked us up in a Land Rover. There were three medical doctors and myself, so there were uh, five of us in the vehicle. We drove inland on a very hot, dry, dusty road. We pulled off by the side of the road, and there was a little mud hut with a mom and dad and three children that lived there. And it was hot. They presented each one of us with a locally brewed bottle of lemon-lime soda pop. I'll never forget it because there was huge hunks of rind and other foreign matter swimming around in this thing. But we were so thirsty, we just chugged it down. As we were getting back into the Land Rover, the missionary told us that was two months' wages for those people. Oh, we felt horrible. We wanted to go back in and reimburse them. Our missionary said, no, there are generous people. Brothers and sisters of Whitebridge, if that's generosity, Lord, forgive us. We have taken all of this grace, and we have consumed it all. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, let your grace shower down upon us. We are a people, Lord, in a selfish culture, and it has infected us. Thank you for your forgiving nature, Lord, and thank you for all that you've given to us. Teach us to be more like Jesus. 
who for our sakes became poor, that we might become rich. Teach us this balanced life, Lord, of enjoyment and generosity, and help us to be more like him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into 